What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Too Much Test Podcast. I believe this is episode 12, but I am here with Sam Stolt. You can find him on Instagram and YouTube under Sam Stolt. And I'm also here with David DiMasquita. You can find him on Instagram. Just search David DiMasquita. And you can find him on Instagram, dynamite underscore D. So what is going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Busy. Very, very busy. Uh, How are you guys doing? Like, it's been an awesome, awesome last since we last chatted. I've been very, very busy, though, and really loving life. I'm out here at the beach uh, in Clearwater and uh, going to enjoy a couple of days out here vacation. But what about what about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing great on my end uh, out of corporate America officially, which everyone thought I didn't even have a corporate job. <laughs> I'm pretty sure by this point, uh, but I did. So a uh, contract ended and I'm out and I just closed our home. So new chapter of my life, essentially. New chapter, old me. Congrats, oh, so, bro. Congrats. So you're, you mentioned that two or three months ago that you were going to potentially be leaving um, and you're not there anymore. No, I'm not longer, no longer there. Uh, they, the contract, they were going to end like a week or two weeks early because they actually didn't need us anymore. They had us on payroll. I felt kind of bad. They had us on payroll. And they're like, oh my gosh, like they're so nice over there. We don't want to kill off your job. Like we want to make sure that you have some sort of income. I'm like, look, like I'm I'm doing fine for myself. I was like, you can kill off my contract. Don't feel bad. And um, th- so the next thing you know, they're like, all right, kill it. <laughs> Pete, what about right. you? How, how is everything going for you, brother? Doing good, man. I've been dealing with a lot of craziness. I got a, my roof replaced because there was hail. Um, that took about a month for them to completely finish from start to finish. Just it shouldn't take that long. It should take two days, but they just dragged their ass. They came to to get a final inspection on the permit. They didn't even have the permit on site. They were like, do you have the permit? And I'm like, the fuck would I have the permit? I was like, you're the contractor. <laughs> so they pissed off the county. So the county was mad at them. So when they finally did come back out again, they nitpicked them on some little stuff just to you know, mess with them. Um, but yeah, other than that, good, just busy. But I wanted so to ask start- you guys a question, and this has nothing to do with like bodybuilding or the body, but I wanted to ask and have each of us answer the question. Have you ever been punched in the face? I'll let you go first. Sam, have you- I'll go first. Uh, the only time I think I've kind of, it's more of like a slap, and it was by um, a girl. So I was, um, <laughs> I was, I was dating multiple different girls, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> my buddy had a party at a bar where he rented out the whole top of the bar in the VIP area. And uh, she happened to be up there. And I was talking to some, a different girl up there at the time. And I didn't know she was up there at all, but we had been dating for a couple months and she saw me up there. So first of all, she, th- she threw her drink on me and then like slapped the shit on me. <laughs> and then my friends like pulled her back or whatever. But that was the only time I'm not, big into uh fighting i'm i could you know i let other people do that i would rather do like other shit than fight personally but what, what about you guys Dave, why don't you go first oh, you, you want know, me to go yeah okay. you go first <laughs> so i've been punched in the face once um me and my buddy were hanging out with this girl this is like i think this is like eighth grade maybe and we go drop this girl off we were partying um so i wasn't sober and we pull up out of this another another party that was in the same neighborhood, a bunch of people out in the front yard partying. And this dude who I I know of him, I know him, um, I wasn't good friends with him or anything like that. And he was like, there someone else came up and was like, Bro, Bryant said you're talking shit about him. And I was like, What? I was like, I don't even really know him that well. I wasn't I wasn't talking shit about him ever. And it just 
it just got to the point where he came up to the car and he's like, bro, I heard you've been talking shit. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it. Let's go. And so I get out of the car and he's standing there. We're standing facing each other. And he kind of stepped back and it kind of stepped into a dark spot where I couldn't really see him that well. The next thing I know, I got punched right in my mouth and he jumped on top of me and took me down. But I was bigger than him. So I was able to grab him and flip him over. And so I'm kind of on top of him with my knees kind of on his arms. And I get in probably like four or five hits. And then someone yelled cops because they saw lights, just regular headlights. So we stopped the fight and that was it. Um, he had he was bruised up here pretty good, but it cut my lip up on my teeth. So it looked worse on my end than it really was. But that's the only time I've ever been punched. All right, Dave. So I, I was a bouncer for five to six years. So you know where this is going to go. Um, <laughs> no, he's got that's a lot of stories. Yeah, that's how I uh, paid my way through school. A lot of my schooling, like how I could actually afford chicken and rice until my last six months at school, and then I couldn't afford chicken and rice anymore. Then I went to the like ramen. Thank God I was dating a girl that felt really bad for me because I couldn't cook food for her anymore because I had no food. So her parents would give me chicken every once in a while. so so uh bouncing uh i've been hit in the face i'd probably say maybe i have a really hittable face probably like 15 times or so um i've been there have been brawls where i have like straight up people have sprinted and straight up like haymaker me straight into my temple and i will literally like i'm a freak of nature i'm a high pain tolerance person and i thought i just got like straight up haymakered and I just started like laughing at them. And I was like, you want to go? And the brawls have broken up. Two t- two brawls in particular broke up because I started laughing at them. And I was like, you guys want this? And um, they're just like, they put their hands up. And they're like, we're good. And they walk away. Um, <laughs> and I didn't throw a fist or anything like that, right? Like they were just brawls. And I was I would scrap and, sna- and snatch them and basically move them or whatever it was. And um, yeah, just straight up like square on hitting the temple multiple times. And um then uh one the last fight though which there was a bar that hired me because they knew i did uh, there's a pro mma fighter that trained me for a bit and that was how before i did bodybuilding well when i was just getting into bodybuilding i started doing some mma and the guy would actually want pro that trained me and so i knew how to scrap really well but i hate i hate fighting like I, it's like a little dick contest it's literally what it is and i like if someone was about to get in a fight i'd be like, i walk over to them and be like hey look like you guys both want to get laid tonight right all right, this isn't the way to do it. And then usually it breaks it up. They're like, all right, I'm like, just go your separate ways, like shake hands, walk away. And if they don't want to shake hands, just walk away. Or if you're still being who you are, I'm going to ask you to leave nicely. And sometimes they don't want to go nicely. So uh, the last fight that I was in, I was actually taking this guy out of the bar. And he was about to blindside someone. I happened to be standing there. Um, he was about to blindside someone. So he put his hand behind his back so the guy couldn't see it. And he was pulling it around to hit the guy in the face. And I happen to be sitting right behind the guy when it's like happening in slow motion. Drunk people think that they respond faster than they do. And I literally was like, <laughs> all right. I literally put my hand under his arm. So when his arm went to go forward and he cocked it back, I put my hand behind him and it just like locked it. So he couldn't put it forward. And then I was like, scoop and grab the other arm. And I was like, all right. And like, they were walking out to the front door anyways. I'm like walking the guy out to the front door. And the guy was really tall. So it was weird. So he like kind of like lifted me up on his back and somehow had one arm free by that point. I don't remember how it got there. And um, he hit me in the temple like four or five times, but he was going around his body, like up and around. And I was like, all right. And like, I pushed the guy back 
And I know that I, when the guy turned around again, I, the guy must know how to fight, but he turned around and he kept his basically fist hidden to himself. It was coming. And as soon as I saw the fist coming, I just stepped and I hit. And I've only thrown two fists my entire life, and this is one of them. And I hit him so hard in the forehead because I hit the forehead. I don't want to break the nose or anything. I don't want to deal with the police report or anything. Um, so I just straight up like hit him in the head to stun him. Left four knuckle marks across his forehead, but it didn't hurt him, right? Like it just a, a stun. It, it was enough to like make him not hit the uh, throw the strike or throw the uh, fist. And uh, so I, I meanwhile I was training for nationals and I damaged my wrist. Well, next thing you know, I ha- I took off my wrist brace because my tendons were torn in my wrist. And I was like, look, man, if you don't want to leave, let's go then. And it was simple as that. And guys walked up to him and they're like, we've seen this guy. What this guy can do. You sure you want to fight him? And like, next thing you know, there's a guy that got in between us that used to work at the bar or something. And he's trying to settle down. I'm like, look, I just want him out of the bar. If you can get him out of the bar, do your thing. Next thing you know, his friend comes walking up and grabbing me from the back. And I was like, look, and I pushed him back. I'm like, look, stay out of this. Your buddy's leaving. You're leaving too. Get back. And uh, next thing you know, I turned and there was a fist this close to my face. And I'm like, oh, man. So I put my hands up to block it. And I was actually going to get a clean block. And his friend grabbed my arm and pulled me off balance. And it, so I only had one arm. So it grazed the bottom of the arm. And it went and it actually hit my nose. It partially broke my nose. Hit my nose and down into my mouth. And the the just like you, it went into my lips, into teeth. And I thought I had, like, no face at that point. And I just, like, took my arm and, like, ripped him. And I put him down to the ground. And then I didn't realize how bad I was hit. And I was just like, man, like I was stunned and I, I cussed and I don't cuss that frequently. I was just like, Fuck. <laughs> and I sprayed blood like a sprinkler. like, And I was like, took my hand, just blood pouring out of my nose, out of my mouth. And I'm like, all right. And then uh, I was like, this guy's done. So I ended up walking to basically take him, take, go, take him out pretty much because he's still in the bar somewhere. And I realized they were walking away and I go, get, you might want to get the officer. And the guy at the front door is like, what happened to you? And he's sitting like five feet away from me while this is all going on, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, you might want to get him because uh, I'm about to scrap with these guys. And next thing you know, the cop ends up guillotining the one and arrest. They both end up getting arrested. I get a phone call from the district attorney a year later. Like they end up going to jail, one of them. Um, the one that hit me in the face. So, but it, I was like, yeah, you know, getting paid 10 bucks an hour isn't worth it. And that was my last night bouncing. <laughs> that was a really long drawn out answer, by the way. What's interesting that you said is when you, you punch someone and they get stunned, like when I got punched in the mouth, like I felt zero pain at all. Like I didn't even know that my lip was cut up. I just remember that when I got hit, my eyes closed. And then I kind of like, you know, ha- it was probably less than that, but like a quarter second later, I was like back in it and I was on my back and it's just your adrenaline just kicks in. Like, I didn't think I'm going to roll this dude over and get onto his, it's just, it was just an instinctual thing. Um, and since you told a punching story, I'll tell a punching story as well. I, I've only punched one person besides that guy, like in a real fight. Um, I was sitting at, in, uh, by myself at high school, I was eating lunch. Uh, they had just like switched lunches, so I didn't know anyone there or something like that. And these two kids are sitting next to me, one of them standing in front of the other one. So I'm sitting and his friend's sitting next to me and his friend is standing in front of him. And they were fucking around doing stupid stuff, you know, whatever, just being high schoolers. And the one kid grabs like a full like 20 ounce Powerade and just like and just like swing, you know, like like this to like spray it. And so I'm just sitting there eating and I just have blue Powerade in my ears, all over my face, all over. It just hit me and it was cold and it just like, it just flicked a switch. And I just looked at the How old were you? This is probably, let's see, which school? I was first high school. I was either a freshman or a sophomore at this point. 
I can't remember offhand. But so I get up and I look at the kid holding the Powerade and I was just like, what the fuck, bro? And his friend starts laughing and I don't know what it was. I just that 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 switch and I just ran up on him and I just knocked him. and I hit him right in his mouth and I knocked out like three or four of his teeth. And I have I have they're hard to see, but I have scars. I have two little scars on my like this part right here. And uh, so after I hit him, I just I was like, shit, I need to get out of here. And uh, so I walked to the walked around, wiped the blood or cleaned the blood off my hand and went back to class. And then like 10 minutes later, the principal came and pulled me out. And I didn't even realize I knocked out his teeth. I just knew that his mouth was bleeding. But apparently my parents had to pay like, I don't know how much to replace his teeth and get veneers. But that's, <laughs> that's the only time I've ever punched anyone. I'm not really a violent person, but that just that water in my ears and blue powerade all over my face. It just, I don't know, it pissed me off. <laughs> well, growing up, I was homeschooled my whole life, like K through 12, and there's seven kids in my family. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was the third oldest. So I, had two, I have two older sisters, and my parents were out doing something, so my oldest sister was responsible. And I was just being a little bitch, and all the kids are up in their bedroom. And, at, like, the younger people are in, their, in bed. Like, they had to go to bed at a certain time. And her and I were arguing, so I was like, okay, well, she's in charge. I'm just going to fucking wake everybody up. So I'm at the bottom of the stairs, and I just start screaming up the stairs. <laughs> so we st- we start fighting, break the ra- the railing off. My, so uh, on a tangent, all my most of my other siblings, except for one, almost all my other siblings fight MMA or karate or jujitsu or some form. Like a couple of my brothers were in a movie that was on like Netflix and stuff like that around this kind of stuff. And so they have that background. And and I was like 14 years old and I didn't do any of this shit because it was just never interesting to me. And she goes and she hits me and I'm, I'm completely fine. And she tore a ligament in her wrist or hand and had to have like major surgery. And <laughs> I was fine. My parents, my parents were really pissed at me, even though like, I was like, I didn't do anything. She hit me. <laughs> it's not my fault. So my, not I had my a brother, brother, by the way, we were born the same year. We were Irish twins, January 3rd and De- December 4th for him. So we, you want to talk about like fighting, like we had the highest pain, he's a higher pain tolerance than me too. We would choke each other until we turned blue and almost passed out. That's, that's my brother and I, when we were growing up, we're like best friends now. But there was one time when I came back home from college and I don't remember what I said, but I did, I knew it was going to be a trigger and I just like triggered him. And there was this basically dresser, not dresser, but it was uh, these shelving units that were glass and they had metal attached to it. And whatever I said, he actually took me and he somehow flipped me over him. I was already lifting at this time. I was not that small. Flipped me over him, legs going through all five layers of shelving with the glass. Somehow the glass didn't break, but it bent all the metal back into it. And my brother and I were just like, yeah, we should stop fighting for a second. And then like we bent all the metal back and like, we rewired the shelving unit. I'm sure it still looked all janky and crooked, but it kind of was back to normal. And then you, yeah, and you probably. T- you tell your parents, I don't know, I don't know what happened to the table. It's just the glass is broken. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "What was that sound? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. We came in here and the table was broken. <laughs> that was our excuse for all the shit we did." <laughs> I've got an interesting story. My brother actually stabbed me with a butter knife, straight up. So, so we were, I was, we were pretty young. I think he was like maybe four or five. I was maybe eight, something like that. Anyway. He had a box, like a cardboard box, right? And he was making a Ninja Turtle sewer. 
So he had like marker where he was like drawing out like the sewer stuff. And, you know, he's like four years old. He's just doing stupid shit. And he was cutting out a hole <laughs> stuff with a butter knife. And I was like, he was making a square opening for the sewer. And I was like, bro, I was like the sewer circle. I was like, it's a circular sewer. It's in all the shows. You're doing it wrong. You're, you're This is horrible. I was busting his balls. I was telling him, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And he was getting pissed. And my dad's like, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let him make a fucking square sewer. And I was, I was just messing with him. I wouldn't leave him alone about it. And he got pissed. And he just straight up fucking threw a butter knife straight at me. And I'll show you. I have a scar from it. I don't know if you can see oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we, can so, we can definitely see it. For anybody who's listening to this, there's like a hole missing in the edge of uh, his elbow that's like indented. <laughs> so, so he throws it. And it hits, and it sticks. It sticks. It's just like there's a butter knife sticking out of me, and and so I I I, I can't remember 100. This, this is why this why this is why I don't fight. I apologize. <laughs> we, we we should change topics. <laughs> it just was like but my parents actually blamed me because I wouldn't stop messing with them. Like they, I don't think they even like uh, gave him any punishment. And he stabbed me, but either, either way. <laughs> But yeah, so I have a permanent scar for my brother, like ninjaing a a butter knife at me. <laughs> that straight up reminds me of John Wick killing someone with a spoon, bro. And yeah, it's yeah, accurate. But let's move on from fighting. We're peaceful people here, oh. you know. We're not all Roy raged out or anything like that. So, what do we have? What do you guys want to talk about? Um, I. Uh... I have blood pressure that I want to talk about. I'm curious. We we were talking about it briefly before you guys got on. Uh, I just got a blood pressure monitor, and my blood pressure is high. Last time I checked was probably eight or nine months ago, and it was low, like maybe 131 or 133, I think it was, over like 70-something. And... I was like, okay, this is probably fine. It's like midday, and uh, I was grocery shopping, pushing a car around the store. So I was like, okay, well, that probably makes sense. It's probably higher than what it was expected. And then I'm checking it at home about a week and a half ago, and it's in the 140s. I was like, oh, that's not good at all. Uh, So I've made some some changes, um, but I'm curious to hear, like, is is there something you can – so I've made – dietary changes and a couple lifestyle changes to try to get that under control. And now I'm seeing like low one thirties consistently, but I think it's something that not, well, we touched on a different episode, but not a ton of people talk about blood pressure. And we have, we talked about it last time about there's a bunch of people who are passing away and blood pressure is like that silent killer that causes all these fucking issues and so just for reference what's what's the what's your your blood pressure supposed to be at for everyone listening that maybe not super into this what's like the gold standard I, I, ideal is below 120 so you, you have your your systolic and your diastolic so so one is your heart think of like a valve on a car that kind of like pushes pushes fluid out right as it's compressing this valve and then as it's the valve goes back and pulls back on the cylinder to like pull fluid in there that is the diastatic number so the systolic is when it's pressing all the liquid out of the the cylinder well that's what's happening when your heart is contracting that's the top number how much pressure is in your arteries at that point versus when your heart is basically going back and allowing more fluid in there blood in there it's in that resting state and that's your diastatic 
and that's supposed to be over uh that's supposed to be 80 so that yeah. for me is the resting rate is basically fine for me it's the compression portion of it that is uh a little bit high for me i like that you mentioned cars and i'll let david get into it because i'm sure he deals with this a lot more than than i do but when me and sam were talking about earlier i was saying you know any type of plumbing system the more pressure that's applied to it the more likely something is to leak or burst and i like that you put it into like car terms so you know a low compression just normal engine that in like just like a little four-cylinder in a regular car there's not as much pressure. There's not enough as much stuff going on. Now you take that same engine, you throw a turbo on there, you throw mm-hmm. nitrates, and you increase that compression. You can increase the pressure. There's more likely to blow out seals. There's more likely to have leaks, stuff like that. So that's kind of how I think about blood pressure. Question, question on that, uh, because I'm not a big car guy. Uh, you said compression. That's just pressure. Is that just another word for pressure? What is? What do you mean by compression? What does that mean exactly? Just for me, it doesn't matter if it's 100% accurate, but like so that I understand what that means. Yeah. So like if you have a naturally aspirated engine, it's basically it's basically seeing how much pressure builds up in that cylinder. And like so if you add a turbo to a car, you actually want to lower the compression a little bit because that turbo is going to add more compression. So if you gotcha. take a high compression engine, add boost on top of it, it's going to be too high and you'll blow up the freaking motor. So like yeah. taking well, like a nat- David talk I'm- about like actual blood pressure human wise. So like well, basically what you're talking about is a natty that's adding in anabolics and bad lifestyle and zero sleep and sodium. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. what I was yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. So when you're talking about a turbo or a supercharger, superchargers work a little bit different than turbos, but it's basically like adding in a performance enhancing drug. It adds pressure to the system. Um, there is full systemic inflammation that does come from performance enhancers. Um, anyone that denies that is pretty much incorrect. Um, but if you implement a turbocharger correctly to a system, well, guess what happens? It actually works a little bit more efficiently. You save some gas mileage as well. Um, but then people crank up the boost and you can put that extra pressure on the engine and eventually blow it out or leak, like exactly what Pete was saying. So think about those performance enhancers almost as turbos. Um, now, just in general, as blood pressure, it is probably one of the worst things that does come with enhancement. Uh, the hematocrit and the blood pressure, those two kind of things go hand in hand because you're looking at the kidneys more so than anything else. But what people don't think about the kidneys, people think about the heart, which is kind of like indirectly because that kidney is going to be that filter unit. When you think, I think of kidneys and heart working synergistically together because there are things out there that can improve your kidneys that actually indirectly improve your heart. So the direct impact is on the kidney and then the indirect impact is on the heart. For instance, your adrenals are located in the kidneys and you improve the adrenals and you improve the heart function. So you can get weird refraction sometimes out of the heart and fire off properly. If your adrenals are off, you keep helping out or norepinephrine and stuff like that and keep pumping out that heart rate to those adrenals get pumping, you know? So it affects, they talk together. And that's how I actually look at it is a kidney and a heart work together. So if your blood pressure is high, look at the kidneys usually before the heart, but it could be the heart. I mean, you're going to get that pressure on the heart at all times. Um, So if you can improve kidney function, usually, and you also get that indirect correlation to that. Now, when we're talking about the kidneys, what, what are things that we automatically know improve blood pressure, water and electrolytes. There you go. Yeah. Water. Everyone talks about water and they say reduce down your sodium, right? 
sometimes an electrolyte imbalance. So one way to improve your water, if you improve your water, increase the water intake, and that doesn't affect it. Okay, why don't we do something like increasing potassium? Create that equilibrium in the body. So something like actually as simple as like no salt, it's literally a salt substitute called no salt, is very high in potassium. It's very hard to get your FDA approved or FDA, um, right, FDA limitation, I think it's FDA, right? That does our, our food standard. Um, oh, the yeah. I don't think it's sure. the FDA, but it's somebody else. They they put out minimum. That's what you're talking about, the minimum yeah, the minimums. required, the, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, the government yeah. minimums is 2.7 grams a day of potassium. It's nearly impossible to hit that through food unless you're only eating potatoes, essentially. Potatoes are super high in potassium. So that's an awesome natural substitute for potassium. Um, so no salt is an awesome addition to your food if you need to create that. Now, if you create that equilibrium just through electrolytes and you improve it, good. Uh, things like citrobergamot and things along the lines of that. Oh, shoot, I'm just gonna drop it. What, what, what was that? What was that last one you mentioned? Citrogamic? Isn't it citrus uh, bergamot? Citrus bergamot? bergamot. Bergamot, dude. I always butcher it. But th- that that helps with cholesterol. But like some of these things that are encompassing, if you look at like liver, kidney, and then heart, um, things that are going to improve your cholesterol tend to improve blood pressure down the line as well. So I like to improve basically liver functionality and kidney functionality to improve the blood pressure as a whole. And Morpho Prime, I'm just dropping it, is going to be like an all-encompassing one. I like the Omega that they have too because the Omega, it's going to have D3 and K2, which aids in cardiovascular health. And then Omegas, if you're trying to actually get a triglyceride improvement, which is also going to benefit your heart, is going to be actually four to six grams a day, I believe is on, on actual studies is four to six grams a day of EPA slash DHEA, but you can still get a decent return on one plus gram. So those from a natural standpoint are awesome, but the drug that comes to mind immediately, like someone just is enhancing and they want to watch their heart and their kidney health and their blood pressure. Tomasartan. Tomasartan. Right. Huh? That's a prescription, right? It's a drug. Yeah, it's a straight-up prescription drug. It's a very cheap drug, and it doesn't get readily prescribed, but the indirect benefits are phenomenal um, for actually protecting your heart more so than anything else. So people that are on performance-enhancing drugs, and like I said, it's becoming more popularized within the performance-enhancing community. It um, like The medical dose is going to be 40 milligrams up to 80 milligrams a day, and it doesn't have to do with the direct impact to the blood pressure. Now it can, it directly impacts the blood pressure by affecting the kidneys. Okay. But it can help aiding in heart support over time. So it prevents for long, when you're looking at longevity, people are talking about metformin and telmosartan for the longevity benefits behind those two drugs. Now, do I think metformin is a whole, everything I want to ask like metformin is a holy grail. It's a great drug absolutely great drug one of the safest drugs you can actually put into your body um i like berberine a little bit better personally um so but telmosartan is a phenomenal one if you cannot if you have chronic not just a one-off basis chronic blood pressure issues telmosartan is a phenomenal drug telmosartan telmosartan like t-e-l-m-s-a-r-n okay Random question, random question just about berberine. Berberine's in a lot of glucose disposal agents. That's one of the things. I mean, would you recommend, I mean, is all that stuff, extra stuff needed in those glucose disposal agents, or do you think just stocking up on some bulk berberine would be good enough for most people? If your gut health is good, 
Berberine's going to be fine. Um, if your adrenals are shot or if you're a woman with PCOS, berberine's not going to cut it. Um, okay. There are reasons for med- for med- medications, for sure. Like, that's why, like, I'm huge on, like, functional and medical health because you have to know both sides of it. Um, but, yeah, berber- berberine does do the trick unless if you're, like, talking about extreme cases. And then the most- I think of, like, those GDAs as, like – how you design a steroid or like a, a mass or cutting type of stack, if you want to call it, right? You're going to have testosterone. Maybe if you want to have like an IT door and a DHT and maybe SARMs or, or something for um, uh, HGH, a peptide or the actual HGH or syncretic of some sort, but then you have something for like the insulin side of things. But then you, once you go into the insulin side of things, you have like, okay, maybe the base is, uh, berberine, but then you have chromium and like all, cinnamon and all these other fucking things you can stack on top of it, just like you would with gear. It, it, it. But I don't think it's definitely not necessary for most for most people. Speaking it, of gear and cycles, like, do you guys think? I was thinking about this. Like, a lot of cycles seem to have test something that's DHT based and then something that's nineteen nor. I mean, do you think that's kind of like the gold standard where you're kind of hitting all three different derivatives? You know, like maybe testosterone, DECA, D-ball. What is the end goal? That, that's ultimately the question is what is the end goal? If you're putting someone on an Olympia stage, NOR-19 is probably going to be a good choice. But if you're going for muscle protein synthesis and growing, then you're talking about balancing testosterone and balancing the side effects and reducing those down. So that's when DHT-derived drugs come into the equation, in my opinion. And testosterone is about muscle builder, like, period. I don't care what anyone says. It is the best muscle builder. It increases muscle protein synthesis. You get the estrogenic, the aromatization side effects. So you increase your estrogen and estrogen is an awesome muscle builder. Again, an awesome muscle builder, but can have uh, heart issues down the road if your estrogen gets too high and you're getting sides. So also on the, on the, I'll talk, talk about the stack in a second, but on the estrogen side relating to blood pressure, I had a buddy just go to the doctor and I don't know if the doctor's competent or, or specializes in anything <laughs> special, but the doctor was like, he let him know what he was doing. And he was like, Oh, take uh anastrozole, which is a Rimadex, right? Um, because that can help lower your blood pressure. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. It makes sense. Right. Cause if you, if uh, hypothetically you have too much estrogen and you're holding more fluid, uh, taking your estrogen levels down, <laughs> hypothetically, your fluid goes down, fluid goes down in your body or your organs, everything, your blood pressure is probably going to be going down as well. And I just thought that was interesting because I've never, when I, over the past two weeks or so with the blood pressure, I was like, never once did it come to my mind about estrogen. I've thought about like different types of natural diuretics that I can start testing and adding in, but never once did I be like, oh, maybe taking a little bit of an AI and dropping estrogen slightly could be beneficial. Uh, so estrogen that. helps with the process of the kidneys to helps the kidneys to uptake water. By the way, that's why you retain more water, and that's why people have issues with DECA and the water retention. It doesn't just have to do with the drug; it actually has to do with estrogen. And you can't combine estrogen from DECA, which is Nor nineteen for you guys listening, um, with a aromatizer inhibitor because it does not aromatize heavily. In fact, it aromatizes very very little. There's a progesterone based drug, but the process that it goes through and where it binds to, it affects estrogen. So that's just not really re- heavily talked about because it doesn't aromatize very so much. What, it does. So what's a good estrogen level for a guy? Because I last time I got tested, it, my estrogen was about 72, which okay. some guys look at that and be like, 
holy shit, that's like 20 some odd points over the reference range. Like, that's crazy. This guy's probably growing a vagina by this point. But, <laughs> but I don't, I don't have any, I mean, when I did start TRT, I did, you know, looked on all the forums, all that stuff. And I ordered an Astrozole bootleg from, you know, Singapore or something like that. And I was taking, you know, 200 milligrams and I was taking one milligram of the Arimidex a week. Um, you know, it's, that's actually pretty common in TRT, but I, I, can't remember why I stopped taking it, but I stopped taking it and nothing really changed. So I was like, well, the less medicine, the better. But I mean, do you look at someone who's sitting at 72 estrogen and think maybe they should drop that down to 60, 55, 50? So they're not retaining as much water, maybe lower their blood pressure. And is also is the is the counter of having better blood pressure worth taking an astrazole, which we know is not great for lipids and bone density. So <laughs> have fun with that one. <laughs> there's um so in like quest or, or um what's your lab court right they tend to go between i think it's a lsms uh type of a essay to check something and uh immunoassay or something yeah and one of them is more sensitive than the other i don't remember which one it is but uh, my buddy went through and checked his levels with the not a sensor. He's like friends with the lab girl. And he checked his on the one and then he checked it with a high sensitivity. And it didn't even show up uh, on the ultra sensitive one. But on the other one, it was like 50. So I, um, I'm not sure. Uh, in all honesty, like I got, I've got to do more research to understand the differences between the ultra sensitive one and the other one. Because for men, for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't know why, but the standard like E2 test you would see for men, where it's like the the point reference range is forty, right? If it's fifty, I don't think it's necessarily accurate, just because of what I'm learning through indirectly through a friend because you have those different sensitivities on there and in whatever the reason is in men it's just not as accurate i don't i don't know enough about if you guys the regular estradiol one's pretty much pretty much worthless in men um because it picks up all those other like satellite estriols all those other ones so it's wildly inaccurate that's really just used for women um but ultra sensitive is really the only one that you can use accurately for for estrogen i'll let dave jump in here cool so I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and we'll keep it a short rabbit hole, right? I'm going to say, how accurate do you want to be with your hormone testing? Because I'm going to tell you right now that the best way to do a hormone test is not a blood test. I love blood tests. Like, like I'm like blood tests are kind of like my holy grail. But that being said is Dutch testing. If you want to figure out how to optimize your pathwaying of hormones and really optimize hormones, Dutch test is a metabolite test, so you can see where your hormones are pathwaying through. And it's actually kind of cool because speaking of like, like gauges and cars, since we were on the topic earlier, they have literally like gauges, like an RPM gauge, um, to see like how much you're aromatizing, how much basically the ends at an enzyme at an enzyme level, five alpha reductase, how you heavily you're converting to different things. Um, and it is a very complex subject because you're talking about metabolites at that point. So you'll see like E1, E2, um, basically is, is a woman in particular, androgen dominant, like they have scalings in there. And if you're talking about estrogen, what is bad estrogen versus good estrogen? Good estrogen is great for us. Bad estrogen, which is 14-OH and 16-OH, you can metabolize with natural things other than aromatizer inhibitors. So you, basically, if your gut isn't optimized and you excrete out 50% of your estrogen, 
Well, guess what? If you're not excreting all that out or if you have leaky gut, for instance, and you're recirculating that estrogen, well, that could be another thing. It could be gut related. So when you're talking about, and then let's go back to a simplistic level. If I see a blood work, a lab work on someone and they're at a 70 estrogen score and I'm trying to optimize their physique, right? And I'm trying to do a recomp and I don't want them to store extra body fat. I like to see them closer to a 40 to 50 range. Um, I don't think I want to see below a 40 really in a male that's trying to build muscle, in my opinion, unless they're getting gyno issues, right? That's completely different. Like that's a symptom. But if they're having no symptoms, I like 40 to 50 range. I think 50 is probably optimal. Um, and I really don't like to use an aromatizer inhibitor, period, unless if I need to. For instance, I was up in the 90s and I had no gyno issues at all. And ratio-wise from testosterone to estrogen, it was perfectly fine. But I still did want to bring myself down a little bit because of the issues that can arise with blood clots. And so blood clot is another one and blood pressure potential issues. And I did have a little bit of edema in my ankles and I couldn't really piece it together because my lab work comes out perfect. Every single like I have like bulletproof blood work every time my blood pressure is always perfect. So it's not directly related to the kidneys, um, anything like that. Right. But I will tell you, I personally started taking a little bit of Tomasartan and uh, 20 milligrams. So half a medical dose and my edema. Wow. wow. My, within, I, I, within 24 hours, gone. Wow. I noticed that. So I take lately, I've been utilizing 800 milligrams of sodium during slash pre-workout. Um, and I will notice that I don't look, pay attention to my feet, but I will notice it in my hands, the swelling. Uh, and it is, and even in my forearms a little bit, like how, they, they're so incredibly tight to like grip things in the gym um, using that much sodium, like during my workout, I for sure fucking notice it. Do you, do you guys, re, do you guys remember when we talked about uh, lectins uh, maybe a month ago or, or yep. longer? Yeah. I, so, remember I, was, I was really proud of getting all my healthy fats from nuts and cashews. And then you told me that the cashews hate me and they're trying to kill me because I'm eating them. Remember that was yes. another another bad episode for myself. <laughs> so I think this was right after I had a wedding that I had gone to and I went, I was down at 228 and I'm, I'm working my way up to 250. Uh, and I'm currently like 239 ish roughly. So about 10 pounds in about a month and a half or something, whenever that episode was. One of the things that I found was super interesting is that I've actually look leaner now then I did at 228, and the only thing I've kept in there is the soluble fibers, like the resistant starches. Uh, I'm not really having any white rice. I am having a sweet potato or yam or um, plantains uh, three times a day, generally speaking. Every maybe like twice a week or three times a week, I might have some white rice. And I look leaner at nearly 240 than I did at 228. My, my serratus, um, the obliques, like I look substantially leaner today than I did, you know, a month and a half ago, 10 pounds lighter. And I don't know, if it has to be from the gut health improvement. Now, one question for you, though. Are you doing anything additional performance enhancer wise? I've actually reduced the total amount of compounds that I'm taking. So right now it's 225 test and uh, 75 milligrams of DECA. And I would, and I'm normally like to have a hundred milligrams of an anabolic of a lot of times I'd use SARMs or whatever, but a hundred yeah. milligrams of something in addition to the 225. So okay. I'm at 70, so 300 total. And I look 
leaner. I'm like, this is crazy. I saw like took pictures the other day. And I was like, holy shit. I'm surprised by that. The, the gut thing is super like important. By the way, did you finish off those cashews, Pete? <laughs> I eat them all the time. I don't care. <laughs> I just, I, if they're trying to attack me, I'm going to attack them back and we'll just battle it out. Um, but it was interesting. You said, so Sam's on TRT plus, which is the 225. I typically run at 200, but I'm actually running for the past two weeks. I've been running about 215, 225, somewhere in that range. And it's kind of interesting as to why I'm doing that. And I'll let you know, I think you guys might find this interesting. So I don't know if, you're, if I've talked about it on this podcast, but I have a bottle of Sussanon that I got when I visit England all the time. And I always bring back a couple bottles of pharmaceutical grade Sussanon. I love Sussanon. But this one bottle gives me pit no matter how I inject it. In belly fat, shoulder, it gives me horrible pit. And it's crazy because it looks pretty thin. It doesn't look crazy. I think they put some extra of that, you know, the preservative and the antibacterial stuff in there. So I was running out of one of my bottles and I had like 0.3 milliliters in my needle and it ran out. And I'm like, shit, what else can I use? I've got I've got other bottles of tests, but I was like, let me just get rid of this Sustanon or see, let's try it. So I did pulled 0.2 into this into the syringe. So I was 0.3 Sipionate, 0.2 Sustanon. Um and I, I call it Sustinate. That's a new blend that I've created, <laughs> Sustinate. But, uh, but yeah, I injected it, and it's, it's crazy because I could feel it when I was doing sub-Q. I could feel it kind of burning a little bit because the Sustinon was on top, and then it started to smooth out. But the next day, I didn't have PIP. So I kind of, like, watered down the preservative and the antibacterial into the pharmaceutical-grade Sipionate. I mean, Sustinon's also pharmaceutical-grade, but so I thought that was kind of interesting, like, I didn't want to throw this bottle away. I don't, I will not throw away a bottle of testosterone. So I thought it was cool. Maybe someone listening who buys, gets sucked into that like test Sipionate 400, 500 super concentrated blends. Um, you could even, you could get a 20 mil, 20 mil like sterile vial, mix a bottle of normal concentration with this high concentration and water it down a little bit, or you can do it for each syringe. You said test. <laughs> test 500 you mean you mean underdose test that's label is 500 right well there i talked to some people that got that test 400 and he was like bro he's like i couldn't walk the next day he's like it was that bad yeah i've used it it's fucking horrible i can't i gotta give it to somebody else i was like fuck this shit i can't someone that you dislike Somebody else want to deal with that shit. I can't. I don't want to deal. You can't fucking walk. You can't. You can't roll over in bed. Your ass is so. It's swollen. It's like a rock. It's like incredibly uh, uncomfortable to just even push. So when you roll over bed, right, you push the one arm down a little bit, and you also use your hip and your leg to kind of like roll over in bed. Um, and when you just do that and you're using the leg that you injected on in, in your, uh, glutes, I, I couldn't even do that without excruciating pain. I was like, F this, I can't, this is not going to work. I can't do this. <laughs> Dave, Dave, it sounds you great. It sounds great. You could do like 1.2 milliliters and you're at like a 500, you know, milligram cycle, but it's just, from, it's just too painful. Dave, weren't you, uh, weren't you starting something recently? Or were you talking? Were you thinking about starting something to do a show or something, or talk about like recomping or something? Yeah, well, it's going to be a natural recomp. Um, like, well, I'm on TRT, right? But 
Um, so I'm not being on, I'm not going to run androgenic drugs for until probably showtime. Um, so I'm actually staying completely clean. My body's going to be hyper responsive whenever I do it. Cause it's been almost a year since I've really run any type of androgens. Um, I tried running androgens in the beginning of the year, uh, which was masterone actually for two weeks. And that's when I had my gut issues and I actually flared it up worse. And I just stopped everything. Um, and but right now, like I'm just on tier T, I will be implementing a natural anabolic and I'll be doing basically blood work uh, before and during to prove that it doesn't affect my hormones negatively or any negative impact downstream effects. Um, and then I'm also going to have uh, my wife running a natural, the natural anabolic as well, because it's non-hormone based, it's zero hormones. It actually is, uh, won't bind to the androgen receptors. So I'm doing a little bit of an experiment with natural anabolics to see if it helps with the recomp. Now I haven't started it yet. And I'm going to kind of record the progress along the way. And I'm going to get blood, blood work during. And then um, maybe after, I'll probably get after because I run blood work a lot. Um, just to prove to people that it doesn't affect the hormones negatively. So it's a nice, safe alternative to running actual androgenic drugs if you want an anabolic factor. So that, that's what that's what kind of my next little like experiment that I'm doing. But as far as androgenic drugs, no. Um, I don't even know what my cycles are all going to entail. Maybe Primable for the show. I can't really run a lot to make my weight class. That's my issue right now is I could literally roll into a show probably with TRT and a little bit of masterone just to balance out the estrogen and get a little bit of hardening from it and maybe like a probirone or um i mean maybe a winstrol winstrol is a little bit harsher it's too hard on the joints that's why i don't really use winstrol in prep um and probably roll into a show and be perfectly fine um it would be easier for me to make weight if i did that but that's not a normal competition cycle for people at all so that's like not normal at all so what 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 are you talking about? This natural anabolic? What are you talking about? Like trend? Yeah. <laughs> no. What, yeah. Are you, what are you testing? What is what is this? Some type of herbal stuff? I, I'll post about it. You probably already know what I'm hinting at, but I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to post about it because I want to do a recording on it first. Um, okay. Be pretty cool. That'll be after I get this the blood pressure thing uh, where I would like it to be, or at least in the range. Then I'm going to do that experiment with the trend. Yeah. we were talking about that'll be a, a ton of fun to just see what it's like 20 milligrams and 20 milligrams you know you have to make sure that um you know, the injection site has to be as close to the brain as you can it actually impacts it a little bit better i was thinking my earlobe actually because <laughs> i feel like this ear is a little bit smaller so i was like maybe if i do the injection in my ear i can actually yeah. get uh speaking of like getting into your brain have you guys <laughs> have you guys ever uh experimented with oxytocin I think an oxycotton. <laughs> a little bit different, but so I actually, <laughs> I actually have a quick story. There was a lady that lived at my house with my mom's friend, and uh, I opened my bedroom door, and there was a yellow pill in between, like the door and the carpet. You know, so you couldn't see it from the hallway. It was directly under the door, and I just grabbed it, and I'm like, what "The hell is this?" Turns out it was a 40 milligram oxycotton, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's the end of that story. <laughs> so, so whenever I feel like you tell a story about like these random events that occur, like there just happens to be drugs in your car or something like that. There's a, there's a cocaine, there's a, there's a brick of cocaine in the back of my car just randomly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I gave somebody a, a ride and it was just there when it, they left. <laughs> I, I was actually at a buddy's house and we were kind of partying. I had that and Oxycontin actually has a slow release uh, cover on it. You know, like, uh, so that anyway, so it doesn't all hit you at one time, but you crush it up and you get rid of that seal. 
And if you, I don't know, happen to snort it, um, but honestly, it didn't really do too much to me when I when I did it. I did it. It didn't do much. I wasn't really drinking. But I'll tell you one crazy thing about at least about OxyContin. I don't know. I'm not really big into opioids. I've never taken a lot of them, but it made my nose itch like un- uncontrollable for hours. It was it was it was actually like I wish I hadn't taken it because it didn't really mess me up that much. And I was just sitting there doing this the whole time, and it would not go away. It was so annoying. <laughs> Everybody knew exactly. I was prescribed painkillers from. Sorry, I was prescribed painkillers from 17 until I was like 21 or no 2023 and um it, it was not nothing strong it was um what is the nerve blocker one it's, it's tylenol oh my god pete huh tremadol codeine tremadol so, it, it so it's a, essentially a nerve blocker though but it, it still has the same it's, it's still an opioid and so affects you in the same sense and i actually got so bad where i was waking up with a hangover every day i felt like a basically a chronic um withdrawal effect but normal opioids, like if I didn't have issues with. But the weird thing is, is this is how addicting, uh, just for everyone out there. I took the bottle um, and I actually tossed it to my dad. I was like, hey, if I need it, I'll let you know. Because the cognitive functionality that happens from it, you become very reliant on it in the sense that you feel awake when you're on it. I'm apparently genetically uh, addicted to opioids really badly where it gives me a heightening effect and it feels like almost like god mode on kind of thing it's really weird and i didn't know that that was a thing i was prescribing when i was 17 because now don't get me wrong it was because i fractured my back and hardly any compressed the disc um so there was a reason why they prescribed it to me but i think that i tossed it to him and then i injured my back like a month later and then i was like throw the bottle away because it took me almost probably two to three months to interpret my emotions correctly again. But the anxiety that comes with coming off, it was really bad. Forget about the withdrawal symptoms. The withdrawal symptoms were easy. I took some Advil and I was fine. Um, now, I, I wasn't doing like heroin or anything or a bunch of Oxycontin. But. Have you guys ever, uh, so I, t- I use Kratom instead of like pain um, mm-hmm. medicine and uh, Kratom, and I don't use it very often, but when I do use it, I notice from like a sex standpoint, not in terms of getting hard or staying hard, but able to actually finish. Is that similar thing that you would have with other opioids? I don't know. Cause I've, the only other thing I've used is Percocet really. Yeah. So yes. What, what, ca- what causes, what causes that? Like why, what causes that? I mean, it's binding to the opioid receptor. The uh, cradium binds to opioid and I think another receptor in the brain as well. It just does it in a different sense. Um, so it's, in theory, actually a stronger painkiller than normal painkillers, if I'm not mistaken. My, my mom gets these headaches. She's finished up cancer uh, surgery, and she gets these headaches like pretty regularly. And they were really like giving her ibuprofen and that's super bad for your intestine so i gave her some kratom to try when she experiences these headaches and she's just using a, t- a fraction of what i use and she's like wow i actually think this is working and she got more of it because and i don't you know some people think that it's addictive what do you guys i have a question on this so people think kratom is addictive i i've taken percocets but just for like partying and shit like that, not for like any actual reason. Um, and I've never felt the like urge to say that I was addicted to something or felt like that I was addicted to something is, I don't know if I, how I feel about 
people actually saying, maybe it's just because I haven't experienced it. Like, what is that like being an addiction? Is that something that have you guys ever ever experienced before having an addiction to something? I think addiction is like a good thing when because you're you're in control of addiction, right? Like, so if you decide to aim it at something shitty as fuck, then like clearly you're going to get those results. But if you decide to aim that addiction at like creating an amazing life then that, that's what you create through that addictiveness that you call it's a, it's you blame it on the product or you blame it on the drug or the compound i, I don't know I, what are your guys thoughts on well, addiction and- what, I was, what i was gonna say is um you know I, I try to take the least amount of pain pills possible the only time i really take them is if i have a really banging headache i maybe take like an elite or something the only other time i really take pain pills is after surgery I had a surgery a few years ago and they gave me a uh, Percocet and Tramadol. Um, and I remember I had to drive there the next day, but I was in a lot of pain because I had surgery the day before. And I remember I took both of those pills and I was driving. It was about a 30 minute drive to where I was going. I was about 15 minutes in and I was like, "Woo, boy, I was like, I, just, I am feeling good right now, but I shouldn't have been driving. I just didn't realize I hadn't taken painkillers in so long. I didn't realize how messed up it was going to get me. But into your, to your thing about the addiction, I think, I mean, I think I was telling my wife, I was like, I'll never like get addicted to pills because I, you know, I have, they're in my drawer. I don't, I, I have tramadol. I still have Percocet, but I won't take them. But I can see why people like that feeling. You feel like, like uh, Dave was kind of saying, I felt kind of up. I felt a little silly, giddy, happy, uh, kind of floaty a little bit. And I think, you know, A, just that feeling alone, because it's what, you know, it's, doing a bunch of crazy shit in your brain as well is, is easy enough for some people to get addictive, but then you throw in people that are depressed, people that are dealing with a lot of bullshit, people that have a lot on their mind, you know, just like, you know, your mom going through cancer, you know, I mean, if you weren't as mentally strong or whatever it was, you know, and you take these pills, they make you feel better and forget about it. I think it's real easy for, to get people to be addicted on opioids. And then you've got the pharmaceutical company, just basically just letting people just prescribe the shit out of Oxycontin because they don't care. As long as you don't die, you're going to keep buying it. They're going to make money. But anyway. So it's funny that you're talking about replacing habits. A lot of bodybuilders have come from addictive or abusive backgrounds, women and men. Um, so it, they've replaced a bad habit with a new extreme, right? So bodybuilding is an extreme, but it's at least probably better than where they came from. Um, it's very, very common. As far as addiction, the way that I would pers- explain it is very similar to what actually what you just ended with, Pete. And that was when you're having a stressful day, how do you cope? If your answer is going resorting to a drug, that's an addiction. Um, understanding and and then another reason is is you come up with excuses for that addiction. So if you're like, oh, I X, Y, and Z happen, or I have a really long day ahead of me. I'm going to pop it out or all right. That in theory is an addiction because you're making an excuse of why you need to do it. Now you can still take it right and get your day done and, and then stop taking it. Right. And then you're not addicted to it because you're not taking it. But if every single time and it becomes a bad habit forming thing, then it could be viewed as an addiction in my eyes. Right now, but addiction is actually, I would categorize it more of a disease than anything else. That's why addicts, once they stop doing whatever it is, they can never do it again for the rest of their lives because they have a disease. It triggers the brain. And that's a reason why like heroin addicts, there was a point in time when, and I don't know if it's as popular now as it used to be, but um, 
ayahuasca that would go down to Mexico for ayahuasca trips and it basically trigger and recalibrate the brain in a different way. And they had their spiritual awakening and it did something to the opioid receptor. I don't know if it scrubbed the opioid receptor or what it was, or if it was just enlightening enough to like open up the brain and they would no longer be heroin addicts, but heroin addiction, from what I understand, if you inject heroin, even with inhabilitation rehab, I believe that it's a 4% success rate that you're never going to do it again. From what I've heard. Uh, my, I have a family member who uh, was addicted to heroin and uh, it, was, it was a different experience for them to go through that, that process of like what it's doing it all the time. Like the, the, he tells me stories about like he would run out of spots to inject heroin and do it like between his fingers or between his toes or like the, the, the absolute craziest things that you've ever heard about, like doing it in your neck. And like, it, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I think it goes down to like what Dave, you were saying. Cause I think when we're looking for those feelings, right. That P was mentioning, right. Like, hey, you, I feel good. I feel a little up. I feel like, like floaty. I think you mentioned or something or like just good about life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you kind of, are in the moment in a, in a sense, or what you mentioned, Dave, about how do we cope with uh, stressors in, in our day? And that uh, I think is the, because the, they're taught, people are taught to find the, you know, get rich quick way out of solutions instead of figuring out how to actually cope with those things mentally. And I don't know, to, to me, it seems like, I don't know, I'm not, you know, in that place. I've never been in that place. I'm not, you know, trying to say anything bad about somebody who has been, I just have never been in there. So I have a different point of view than people who have gone through that experience or whatever. Just random switching topics. So back when I was like 24, 25, I was on, I was on a gear. I was on a 500 milligram cycle. Most I've ever benched is 235. And I know that sounds really weak. I have, I have really long arms. I have kind of wide shoulders. I'm really not like when I bench, like my arms are kind of like straight up as opposed to some of the guys with shorter arms. They're more of a, it's more of a triangle. Anyway, mechanically, I'm not really designed for bench press. So the most I've ever benched is 235. That was on gear at 25. Yesterday at the gym, I got on the flat bench and on my fourth set, I jumped up to 235. I got it three times with no spotter. I could have gotten in four with a spotter, but I'm not that type of guy that wants to sit there and struggle and have everyone else help me with the weight off my gym. So it was just, I thought that was interesting that on gear at 25, I was benching 235 once. And then on TRT at 39, I'm doing it three times and I feel like I could do more. First of all, congratulations. That's, that's uh, awesome. You're it's I'm happy. I'm happy with it. It's a low weight compared to a lot of people. And I feel like, the size I am, I should be able to bench a shit ton more. Supposedly on the online calculator, I should be able to bench 266. That's what it said based on uh, how many reps. I'm sure Dave's thrown up like 450 since he was 19. <laughs> no, I have long arms as well. I'm not meant to bench press. The most I've ever been. So when I had a torn labrum was the strongest I ever was. And I had one strength periodization stent and I ended up putting up three... 45 for eight reps with a torn labrum not that bad 
Um, but I haven't been up since I had surgery and everything. I have not been really up there since then, like comfortably, like 315 has been my threshold on incline bench press. I don't do flat anymore and I get better contractions out of Smith's machine. So I go to Smith's machine and I've gotten back up to 315 for like four sets of eight or so around there. But I, I 315 but, for four sets of eight. <laughs> that's that's pretty how, impressive. How, t- how tall are you, Dave? I'm I'm five eight, five eight and a quarter. I had to know that quarter because I get extra weight in my weight class. Sometimes <laughs> they might hide me in at five nine if I'm lucky. I'll be like, oh, stand on my tippy toes. P. How tall are you? Six foot. Interesting. I've, I've never tried to bench press three fifteen before ever once in my life. It's it. So it's a, I've just never tried it. So I just cool. I was in the gym and there was there was no other machines open and there was an open bench. So I was like, you know what? I just it makes me nervous because I popped my shoulder out of place on a bench press before went back like that. So that makes me nervous. Um, so if I'm struggling and I can't get it and I try too hard, that that's when it popped out of place. But if I just don't go for it, then it's got resting on my chest and I have to do the roll of shame where you roll it down to your hip. Um, one interesting, so what exercise I finished that workout on, and I don't know if we've talked about negatives on the show, on this channel before, Mm -hmm. but I got on the machine and I didn't load up a lot of weight. It was probably like 70% of what I normally do on the, on this machine, but I was just, I rep it out and I just bring it back real, real slow, real slow all the way back and then rep it up. So I was doing not as heavy as, uh, negatives as I, you know, you'd normally think, but. Man, I could feel it, and my chest is sore as shit today. So, you guys ever do negatives? Go ahead, Dick. So, I, yeah, I used to use a methodology when I used to train, and I actually haven't talked about it in I, probably ever publicly, but I used to do it forever. Um, was a strength movement where you're just focusing on basically moving the weight as an athlete. Now, obviously, good form because I'm obviously going for hypertrophic ranges and growing muscle. Then I would do at least one stretching movement where I focused mainly on the stretching. And then I'd focus on one negative movement where I'm just focusing on a negative. And that's one thing that really worked well for me. And I would pick those three movements and I'd kind of stick with them. And there'd be four total movements in a day. And uh, the three of the movements would be focused specifically on those three things. And that's how I kind of broke it, split out my workouts for a while. Um, And it, it worked really well. I don't really do negatives too frequently, but I will do pauses so I, for strength building, I do like pause squats. I do like pauses on bench press for me. I'm really, it's really comfortable for me to pause on those movements. Um, but it really helps you to actually make sure that your form is good to get out of the hole. And it helps you with periodization when you're trying to make some linear progress. If you're getting stuck. That's it. That's- do either of you guys have a spot on bench, a particular spot where you get stuck when you can't get it? The, uh, the reason I'm asking this is so for me, I can I could take heavy weight down and I can set it on my chest and I could get it up probably four inches off my chest and that's when I can't get it. But if someone were to help me from like four to six inches, then I can lock it out. But it's that one point, about four inches off my chest, that that's where I'm the weakest. And I just thought that was interesting and see if you guys have that same thing. I probably should push more. I uh, feel like I don't, I mean, based on what you're saying, I've, I've been there before, but I don't think I've pushed myself uh, on the weight side of things. So sometimes I might do say 225 and I might do that for like four or five sets, but then I might go down to 135 and I might do like, you know, sets of like 20 reps or something like that. And I'll go in that 
like uh, maybe up to 140 or 245, but I don't necessarily go where I get to that sticking point. But when I was pushing and working on elevating my weight uh, more quickly, you're going seeing about building weight like consistently uh, on whatever lifts I was doing. I definitely found those because there's a point in like deadlifts. What I remember when I used to deadlift, I would feel that in, in the deadlift, you know, halfway up my shin or something like that. Where it'd be like, oh, can't get past there. But obviously the, the top three quarter above your knee, you're pretty much good or below, like, you know, a certain point, you're fine. Dave, you experienced this, yeah, the, the weak point? Yeah. So that weak point that Pete's describing is the weak point. Um, <laughs> so that, like, that, that four to six inch reps off the chest, I mean, if you turn inside, about four inches out, it's about a, it's about a, finger length as spread out. And that's where the, you're at a mechanical disadvantage is the hardest point of the movement. Now that's where like actually learning from a power lifter, this is why I say don't learn how to lift from a bodybuilder, learn how to lift from a power lifter. Um, this is where you get mechanical leverage points that help you and keep the pressure even to the best of your ability through the movements to the best of your ability. For instance, like retracting the scapula back and you actually reduce down the range of motion that you need to go through that movement. Now you'll see people like doing like 45 degree angles with their back. And I'm not telling you that I've seen like women, no joke, do like 60 degree angles. I'm like, how are the backs not in half right now? It's like, a, it's, like a <laughs> yoga, it's like a yoga pose, but they're doing a bench press. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and their butt's still touching the bench. So it counts, right? And you only have to go two inches. Um, now I'm not talking about that, but, do, but retracting that scapula back. And what I've realized is actually when I retract the scapula back, it's almost like a line that goes across my trap and it might be to the benches that I've been training on for a while. The crunch ones aren't the best, but, um, there's like a fold and it, my, and my traps kind of roll and fold into it. Then I know I'm locked in completely. And what that does actually retracts the shoulder back. So you don't tear a labrum like what I did. And when you're going, you actually want to be at like a four, almost not a 45 degree angle, but around a 60 degree angle. And the cue that I use for bench pressing is, uh, and I learned this from Charles, my buddy, um, is basically breaking the kit gap bar. I, I learned it as like screwing, like basically trying to bend the bar. And then he taught me breaking a kit gap bar. So you try to break the kit gap bar. When you try to break the kit gap bar, you can't bend a metal bar. But what it's going to do is it's going to lock, look at what it does at elbows. It locks the elbows down and you path and you path up. But you try to break that kick out bar and um, it, it locks your shoulders in. It makes you nice a pivot point, the correct angle. So for what, for, so for people that aren't watching this, what he was basically saying is holding the bar and trying to turn your wrists into, to, to see themselves. Basically you're basically yeah. trying to bring your, bring your, pink, bring your, bring your pinkies in. Like if you were, if you're doing a fly, like bringing your pinkies and that's the motion that he was well, showing. Basically. I think the easier way is like, if you're like the strong men back in the day, when they used to take the metal pipe and they used to bend it down, you try to yeah. do the same thing with the bar when you're bench pressing and it just locks you into place. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that. I mean, I've heard about putting your shoulders back. I've heard about kind of taking them out. I've heard of, you know, moving your elbows, your elbows kind of in a little bit more, but I've never heard of actually trying to, you know, trying to bend the bar basically, but you so, know, to lock in your shoulders. Some of the times on the, uh, on incline, well, I'll purposely do, and I know I'm not recommending anybody else do this on, a, on lighter weights, uh, or maybe slightly medium weights. Um, I'll actually go slightly more perpendicular, um, on incline. Cause I actually noticed that in my upper pec more than when I drop my elbows down. So I'm, you know, bringing the scapula down, dropping my elbows down, and I don't feel that as much 
in my upper pack. So if I'm trying to work specifically in my upper pack, if I if I bring my elbows up slightly uh, on an incline, either Smith or uh, incline bench, I feel that more. And it's sure it's mechanics of the motion or whatever it is. Obviously, it's not as good health or you increase the risk of injury for your shoulders and whatnot. But it's what I tend to do for just development, not necessarily the strength or how much I could actually push on it. It's pretty interesting. I have to try both of those techniques. Be careful. Well, I think we're going to wrap that up here. Um, we all have to pee from drinking all this beautiful H2O. But um, so big thanks to Sam and David for being here. Um, if you're listening, we're on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, we have a podcast on all the major platforms. Check us all out on Instagram. Check out the links below. Thanks, you guys, for being here. And we'll see you next time on the Too Much Test Podcast. Peace.